Road to Life. We love you. We're so glad to be back together on our podcast. We're here with Pastor Mike Shepline, and we're going to hear the message from Sunday where you can be inspired through the Word of God and maybe even a funny story. For more information, visit RoadToLifeChurch.com, and we'll see you next week. Um, how many of you know, we've been in a series called Original Design and just kind of going in that vein in our lives. All of us, I believe, are asking the Lord. If you're a Christian, you're saying, Lord, I want you to pour out your spirit on the earth. Can we agree with that? Lord, what, you know, um, we don't need another political party. We need another move of God. In, in our land. And in our heart, we're saying, God, I want revival. Lord, I, I believe that you can draw people to yourself. But equally on, this, on the other side of that is the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that Satan is the God of this natural world system that we live in. And he sa- it says that he blinds the minds of those that do not believe. That's what, the, that's what the Bible says. And so we as believers have to balance that in our mind where we say, God, I'm asking you for revival, to pour out your spirit, to touch people that don't know you, but then equally over on the other side. See, God's plan isn't for us to hunker down. God's plan isn't for us to live in fear and hide and pray harder for the return of Jesus. That is not God's plan for our life. God's plan is that we grow strong in an adverse world. That's what God's plan is. God's plan is that his people are stronger on the inside than anything that's going on on the outside. And so we have an equilibrium and we're able to walk with God in his presence in our life. You know, when you think about that, where we're, you know, we're in this world, the Bible says, but we are not of this world. And we've been in a series that we've been, that we've titled Original Design and that we must go to God's word and find out his original design for specific areas of our life. And especially if we have an area that's broken or that's in need or that needs improvement, I don't think we should wait till it gets broken, but we usually do. How many of you are with me on that. And and then we go to God and we say, okay, God, what is your original design? And so over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about something that we've titled or called too strong. Too strong meaning God is with me, God is in me, and him in me and with me is more than a match for anything that I face in life. He is him in me and with me is more than a match. But we must learn to apply his word, not only learn it, but apply his word in our everyday life in order to be too strong, in order to to sense his presence, and in order to overcome. And generally speaking, when the Bible talks about strength, and I'm saying generally or loosely, it talks about two types of strength. It talks about a natural strength, which we need. How many of you know what I'm saying? We need, but then it also talks about a spiritual strength, and we need both. But, re- but realize this, both are good, and I'm not minimizing one over the other, but natural is limitational. It has its limits. But God's strength 
it transcends natural. In other words, you're going to have natural strength that you can go through life and navigate generally speaking, but there are going to be times in your life that what you're facing totally transcends natural. It will, there is no natural answer. And what we did is we looked in Isaiah 40 and it, God says, I see your troubles. I know what's going on in your life. And he said, but I'm going to help you to renew your strength. If you'll learn to trust into zero in me, you'll renew your strength. And then he talks about natural strength. And he said that natural strength has its limitations. He talked about that the young would fall and grow weary, but those that trust in the Lord, that they'll renew their strength. Jesus talked about in Luke 4, he talked about we can't live off natural natural. Uh, strength and natural bread and natural provision alone, but we live in the strength of God by the word of God. Jesus said in John 6, he talked about the people were following him and he realized that they were only following him for natural. And so he turned to him and he said, you know what? You're going to eat this and you're going to be hungry again, but God has something that will strengthen and satisfy you deeper so that you will not be hungry again. See, we're all going to face things that transcend human strength and even human understanding in our life. And God wants to teach us how to stay in his strength all of the time in his life, all of the time, no matter what's going on around us. You know, in the letter that, that was written to the church in Ephesus, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he specifically tells us how to be strong in the face of what he called a strategy of the enemy. That's what he said. He, he began to teach them about how to be strong. And he gives this imagery of a Roman soldier, and we're going to see it in just a moment. But it's very, very intentional when he begins to compare the armor of God to the armor of a Roman soldier. I, Rome was the strongest army on the earth at that time. And every they saw Roman soldiers every single day day in their life. They saw them. And I believe that the reason that the Holy Spirit stirred Paul to use a Roman soldier is because every piece of armor that a Roman soldier wore was to cover a specific area physically in their life that could be vulnerable if it wasn't protected. And so that piece of armor was specific and had a very specific purpose. And so when Paul began to teach each about the armor of God, every day they would see Roman soldiers. And so when they would see their helmet, when they would see their shield, when they would see their sword, when they would see their breastplate, when they would see what they were wearing on their feet, it would remind them of what Paul said about God has an area to strengthen that will cause you to be able to stand and overcome in what God has for our life. See, each piece of armor covered a specific area. If you look, I mean, I'm just going to just say them really quick. He talked about the belt of truth or having your loins girt about with truth, the breastplate, Roman footwear, a helmet, a shield, and a sword. If one piece of armor was missing, it would become the target of the opposing enemy because it represented a weakness in the Roman soldier and in the Christian's life, and the enemy will target that area of our life. 
And you know what imagery created is God was basically saying how important it was. Every day they went through their lives and they saw Roman soldiers and it would remind them by looking of the six areas in their life. And so he lists six pieces of armor that parallel specific areas of our lives and says that if you're going to live strong in your life, then these six areas we must be mindful or Satan will strategize and hit those areas and we will not be strong. And so I want to read Ephesians 6.10, and we're actually going to read all the way down to verse 18. And what you're going to see is that this... um, Ephesians 6 only goes to verse 24, so there's only six verses after verse 18. And the book of Ephesians is called the general epistle. If you study it, what you find out is it was universally passed around to all the New Testament churches for them to read. And so he says this in verse 10. He said, finally, another translation says, in conclusion, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. I think all of us would say that's what I want right there. I want to be strong in the Lord. But then what he starts to do in verse 11 is he tells us how to be strong in the Lord. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. What I want you to notice is the emphasis on the full armor. Another translation says the complete armor. In other words, if you don't put all of this on and in awareness of the way that you function, he said the enemy has a scheme and what he's going to do is he's going to hit that area. Verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, or because that's our enemy, put on, here it is again, the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you will be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Verse 14, stand firm then. What I want you to notice is four times in three verses, he uses the word stand. Four times he uses the word stand. In other words, we're going to learn this armor, but we're going to have to stand. There's going to be a standing point. Stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, Take up the shield of faith with which you, will, you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Verse 18, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and requests. With this in mind, be alert. Always keep praying for the Lord's people. What I want you to notice is what he started with. He said, number one, He said, stand firm then with the belt of truth, or your loins girt about with truth. Number two is he said, the breastplate of righteousness. That's the second piece of armor. The next thing he said, your feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. That is the third piece of armor. 
the, in verse 16, he said, take up the shield of faith. There's the next one. And then the, and then the next after that, he said to extinguish all the missiles of the evil one. Then the next is he said, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. What I want you to notice is he lists six pieces, and I'm going to call it six areas that we must be aware of and strengthen ourselves in. Look at what he said in verse 11 and 13, put on all of God's armor or every piece or the complete armor. I've been around believers and they're aware of three pieces of this armor, but they're not aware of the other three and the enemy attacks in the other three areas. That's the way that he works. Look at what it says in verse three. It tells us that the way that Satan works, the NIV says that he schemes. The Amplified says that he schemes and their strategies and their deceits. If you look, it, it, um, the, it says, uh, the NLT says strategies and deceit. What I want you to notice is what is a strategy in our life? A strategy is a well thought out plan. That's what it is. It's a well thought out plan. In other words, the enemy looks at our life. He assesses our weaknesses and he comes up with a well thought out plan to attack our life. That's the way that he works. That is the way that he comes against us. Two things we must remember when we're talking about this is realize that God never, ever, not even one time ever said, be afraid of Satan. But he does say, be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. Because the enemy said, don't be ignorant about Satan's devices in 2 Corinthians. What the enemy does is he looks at our life and he assesses the area that we look at and we say, that's not that big of a deal, but God says it's a big deal. And he strategizes to attack that area. God says, don't be afraid of him. I don't want you being afraid of him. We know from others other verses in the Bible that what Satan does is he attacks weakness in our life. It's predictable. He doesn't attack strength. He attacks weakness. He's a strategist. After Jesus had fasted 40 days and he was in his weakest time, that's when Satan tempted him. It talks about in James that we're to live a well-balanced life because Satan roars around, goes around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. What he does is he looks for lives that are out of balance. He looks for lives that are off kilter. If you look in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 2, he says that he uses typical devices to attack our life. And so I want to just start in verse 14, and we're going to get into the arm. Are you all with me? It says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Now, some of you are expecting me right now to start talking about, if you're a King James person, you're saying, my loins are girt about with truth. The uh, NIV says that the belt of truth is buckled around your waist. But before he ever begins to talk about the armor, he uses the word stand four times. It's used four times in this text. Let me tell you something. Standing is not sexy. Standing is not glamorous. Standing is not fun. Nobody wants to have to stand or even gets excited to stand, but the difference in learning how to stand is the difference between winning and losing. 
is that we can go through all of this, but if we're not willing to stand in our lives, understand nothing will change because the enemy is going to try to tempt you. He's going to come against you and you're going to have to stand in what God says. We want to win and step into all that God has, but if we don't know how to stand in life in, 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 in a life-giving way in our life, nothing will last when we go through a test. We're going to have to learn how to stand. We're going to have to learn. God's answer to temptation is he will strengthen us, but we've got to make up our mind that we're going to stand. You want a great marriage? A great marriage is because you stand. You want a great family? It's because you stand. You want a great company? It's because you stand. You want to overcome anxiety? It's because we stand. And what God wants to do is he's saying the enemy is going to attack you, but if you don't make up your mind before he ever attacks, that you're going to stand and you're not going to give in, nothing will work. It won't work. God wants to work standing into us and quitting out of us. That's what he wants to do. He wants to work it in us. When I face adversity, it's uncomfortable and life is difficult, but God wants to teach me how to stand in those times. You say, I want God's best. Realize this, He gives six pieces of armor, and he talks about standing four times. Standing means, I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't like to just stand. I want to take ground. But what God says is realize before you ever take ground, you're going to have to learn to stand. You're going to have to dig your heels in and stand. I mean, you think God is trying to say something when he says stand, 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 stand. I mean, I've heard this passage preached many times, but I've never heard it preached from the perspective of, oh, the first thing God told me is, I'm going to give you these pieces of armor that cover specific areas, but number one, before any piece, if you quit when it gets difficult, if you buckle under temptation, if you just, if you reach for something that just simply helps you to escape standing, God's saying, I got to get that out of you because nothing's going to work unless you're willing to stand you got to be willing to stand. So, I mean, God's trying to say something. So the King James says, having your loins girt about with truth. The, um, the New Living Translation, if you look in the, in the um, original text, loins deals with my inward natural passions of my life and being self-aware to the degree that we're responsive to the truth of the Bible in my areas of passion. I am responsible to the truth. All of us have passions, and this is number one. We're talking about loins girt about with truth. Know your natural inward passions and bends and tighten the belt of what God says around them. Know myself. Know myself. You know, I. Uh, some of you maybe have heard of him. I remember when I was younger, this guy was preaching and he was very well, he was a businessman and um, he had several different businesses and he was, he was a millionaire, you know, and I'm talking like 30 years ago or something. And he would, he just liked to tell people about Jesus. And his name was Norval Hayes. Anybody ever hear of Norval Hayes? Anybody? Norval Hayes. He's gone home to be with the Lord. But Norval said that, um, that he's single and he's in his mid forties. How many of you know, if you're a single guy in your mid-40s, there is a temptation. Are you with me? 
How many? Okay, look, don't look at me like that. How many of you know what I'm saying? Guys are tempted. Are you with me today? Okay, this is terrible. Okay, look. Okay, I want all the guys to look at me. And how many of you guys know that sex is a temptation? Okay, you guys are lying. Some of you are lying. Okay. <laughs> Norval said he was sitting at his desk and he's working on his stuff. And a woman comes in to his office, closes the door, drops a robe, and she's butt naked standing in front of him and said, I've been, and he said she was a model. He said, I've been, she, he, she said, I've been dreaming about you. And he looked at her and he said he stood up from his desk and backed up. And he said, I got to choose between you and Jesus. And I choose Jesus. Get out of my office. How many of you know what I'm saying? It was, see, that was his area of temptation, but he responded to it by standing in that place. Someone I know, this was several years back is they, they had gotten themselves in a financial mess and they finally got out of the financial mess and their cars were like right on the blink. And, and so it was a couple and they had, one of them, they, they had agreed they were going to save money, get a down payment, go in and buy a car. And they went in to buy the car and they, they, they're sitting there signing all the paperwork and getting everything done. And, and they're both sitting there and, and, um, and they get all done signing the paperwork and the salesperson looks across at their mate and basically says to him, now what kind of a car would you like? And they looked and they said, yeah, what kind of a car do I like? And to make a long story short, they were like, oh no, we're starting this cycle again. And they left with two cars when they could only afford one car and one of them called me and regretted it afterwards, but they, it was an inward passion into them of, oh, I just need this, I just need this. You know, and, you, and when we talk about ourselves, what are my inward bends and passions that I don't renew and restrain them with what God says? Because understand, they will mess up my life. Jesus can love me. Jesus has a plan for my life. God wants to bless me. But my inward passions must be restrained with the truth of what God says or the enemy will hit them every single time and he'll take me out when he hits those because I've not learned to stand. Are you with me today? You know, and, and some of us, you know, we know ourselves, do we not? How many, how many of you know an area that you're passionate about? It's like, oh, passionate about this. And if you give into that, it will create a mess. How many of you know what I'm saying? And see, what he's saying is, is tighten the belt of truth around that. You know, you, maybe it's materialism in your life. And, you know, oh, this is going to make me happy. And what we are is we're self-aware and we're accountable to other people in our life. We look and I realize, God, that I have all of us. You know, you might be here right now. And you just say, well, my passion, I just love horses. That's awesome. But if you just love horses and you don't think about anything but horses, it's going to mess your life up. How many of you know what I'm saying? It's, you, and, and it's sometimes it's not in and of itself, but it's unrestrained passion in an area that's not coupled with God's word. I mean, I'm just going to throw this out. 
might venture into some difficult water here, but you'll bail me out. <laughs> Everybody say married couples. Married couples that have sex infrequent or sporadic in their life at best. What do you say? What do you mean? Oh, once every month or two, we have sex. You say, this is church. Let me just tell you something. It is predictable that the enemy is going to tempt your mate. It is predictable. You say, well, you just need to give me some chapter and verse on it. Okay, I will. 1 Corinthians 7, 5. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited amount of time so that you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterwards, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because your lack of self-control. What is God saying? God is saying, if you're married, and, and, and I want to be clear about this. I'm not talking about there's physical problems or whatever in regard to it. But what God, what God is saying is, is he's simply saying, we got to be self-aware of where the enemy tempts. We got to be self-aware. Do you guys want me to move on? Okay, we'll move on. Verse 14, it says, let's continue reading. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. With the, now here's the next one, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Now, if you look at this word um, righteousness, and it talks about it being a breastplate in my life, it's a really broad word in the New Testament. The first definition means to be right standing with God because of Jesus' payment for sin. There's a secureness and an awareness that I don't earn my acceptance to God. It's because of Jesus. And now I'm in right standing with God because he paid for every one of my sins. But then if you look at this word, it goes a level deeper. And what it talks about is it talks about integrity. It talks about virtue, purity of life, rightness, correctness of thinking, feeling, and acting. This deals with how I live. See, when I, my breastplate of righteousness is first I'm aware that Jesus has paid for my sin and I'm in right standing with God. That is my position with God. But functionally down here, righteousness deals with the way that I live my life. I'm integrous. I'm honest. I'm forthright. I'm a person of my word. And what you see is what you get. When I make a mistake, I admit that I made a mistake. See, this is righteousness on a functioning level down here. We can be righteous with God, but not function in righteousness down here. And the enemy will attack our life because of a lack of integrity, a lack of keeping our word, a lack of doing the right thing in our life. See, functionally, what it is, is that, is that I'm forthright. I'm honest. When I make a mistake, as I said, I admit it. I am a what you see is what you get, and I don't hide anything from other people. See, this keeps our conscience tender before God. It keeps our heart tender before God. Remember, Satan attacks weakness. You can count on it. He'll attack those areas. And when he talked about the breastplate, it covered the vital organs in your life, which is your heart, your lungs, and those types of things. This is number two. His breastplate of righteousness is I know who I am 
in Jesus and that relationship affects how I live with other people. Because I'm right here, I live right here. If I don't live right here, it is predictable the enemy is going to attack. He's going to attack that area of my life. There's no duplicity. God said it's like a breastplate that protects me. It protects me. See, the helmet of salvation is my thoughts are being changed and renewed to think more like Jesus and what Jesus has done for me. My thoughts agree with that. You know, I remember, and this was when we lived in in California, there was a young guy, and he... uh, he was a business person, and, and, um, and he was in his, I think he was mid-20s, maybe upper 20s, and he opened this car lot, and he was just like, he, he, you know, he loved the Lord. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ and all this, and he loved the Lord, and, um, and he opened this car lot, and this thing was just booming. I mean, he was making like over a million dollars a year, and he was in his mid-20s, and all of the young believers that had a desire for business were watching him and they were like, oh my gosh, it's the blessing of God on his life. This is incredible. I didn't know any different. And so I was like, yes, God is so good. It's the blessing of God. Well, about three months later, the uh, police raided his facility and what he was doing was buying stolen cars in Mexico and then they were restamping them, entering them in to the U.S. and then he was selling them to people. Let me tell you something, that is a lack of integrity. You say, what happened to him? He won a free trip to a penthouse suite in the state prison for seven years. How many of you know Is that was not God's best for his life, but what it was is he said, I'm the righteousness of God, but the way that he functioned down here was not righteous, and the enemy ate his lunch, ate his lunch. And I think in our lives sometimes, what we have to realize is maybe you're here right now, and you love God, but you don't tighten, the, you don't tighten his word around your passions and let his word affect your passions or get accountable with people in your life to say, I'm aware of my weakness right here. And if I am, if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna have my loins girt about with truth, my loins speak of the passions of my life. They're individual to me. You maybe your passion, I don't know what it is, but it's individual to you, but left unrestrained, that passion will derail your life. Or maybe the next one when he talked about the breastplate of righteousness. You say, I know who I am in God, but are you living an integrous life down here? Is it, are you a what you see is what you get person? Or do you have to stop and say, you know, Lord, what I realize is you made me righteous positionally, but now functionally, I got to do the right thing in my life. And if I do the right thing, what I know is that you will bless me for it. God, you will, and, and the thing about it is, is there's no greater life than a life that has no skeletons in the closet and Jesus is Lord. No greater life. And so when we talk about this armor, today we got two. But when we talk about this armor, what God is saying 
is every day the Christians in their day would look at a Roman soldier and every time they saw, thought they saw his helmet, they would, every time they saw his loins, what he was wearing, every time they saw his breastplate, it reminded them of a specific area in their life that they had to make Jesus Lord and it would cause them to stand against all the attacks of the enemy. You say, are you telling me that if I do all these things, I won't have to stand? No, what I'm saying is your standing will be successful and you'll overcome in life. See, this is what I know is that there is no testimony without a test. And God comes into our life and he says, I'm gonna totally transform your life, but you gotta let me come in and begin to teach you and walk you out in it. Amen. Stand to your feet if you will. 